This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. If you could do anything for the whole day, just one thing, what would it be? I'd tie myself to a banister and make a weaving. Now, I know what you're thinking, just bear with me. My aunt Sandra Brownlee taught me how to do this. She is a weaver, a textile artist, a teacher. She's a tactile person. Her fingers are full of intuition. They tell her what to weave and what stories to tell. The style of weaving we did that day is called backstrap weaving. You use your body for tension. We wrapped four lengths of cotton string around our waists and secured them with a knot like a belt. Then we attached the other ends to the rungs of a banister. But it doesn't have to be a banister, just something fixed. A hook on a wall, a tree, your big toe. If you use your toes, your whole body becomes a loom. Sandra gave me a brown paper bag filled with objects from her home. The strings tied around our waist were the warp of the weaving. The objects would become the weft. I put my hand in the bag and Sandra said, Whatever your hand sort of gravitates towards, whatever feels good to your hand, pull it out gently. I pulled out a thin strip of bubble wrap and thread it over and under the strings. I stepped back a little to pull the strings taut. Then came a long, white, fluffy feather, and I wove it under and over. Then a strip of cheesecloth over and under. A stretched strip of an SOS pad, metal and scratchy, under and over. A smooth cotton string, a Q-tip, then a rough brown cord. And finally, when the bag was empty, I tore off the handle from the top of the paper bag and wove that through as well under and over, over and under. Sandra tore her bag into strips, and you know what? She wove that too. Sandra said we're making a tactile pathway. A pathway to where? What's your pathway? What's in your brown paper bag? What feels good in your hands? On this episode of The Food Podcast, I talk with Beth Kirby, stylist, photographer, writer, teacher, and the woman behind the award-winning blog, Local Milk. Beth talks about beauty, beauty in darkness and in light, and all that lies in between, and the importance of taking time to slow down and to carve out time for creativity, because there's beauty to be found when you switch off. And you know what? When you live slowly, you might find that love speeds up. I've patched Beth in from the Local Milk HQ, Beth's studio kitchen in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You might hear a little beep from the fire alarm that needs a battery. The house has just been remodeled, and it's just all a work in progress. There's an image of Earl Grey and lavender French toast on the Local Milk blog. The French toast is stacked, offset, on a plate. The blueberries are fat and dusted with powdered sugar. A small glass of milk is in the background. A bowl of more dusty blue blueberries is almost out of shot. The light entering from top right is hitting the bread, the berries. It makes the milk sparkle in places and catches white flower petals. Are they bellflowers or jasmine? I don't know, it's hard to tell. The back left corner fades into darkness. It's not just breakfast, it's beauty with a backstory. 
I remember when I first started this because of my background, just generally not being the most stable 20 something. People would really want me to say something along the lines of cooking saved my life, which I think is patentedly false. However, (laughs) I do think that cooking was the one thing um, I could do when I could do nothing else. When I could barely get out of bed, when I certainly wasn't reading any wonderful novels or painting anything or writing anything or leaving my house at all, except to like go to the Whole Foods. So for me, it was the one thing I could do when I couldn't do anything else. It was really peaceful. I could remain creative even when it seemed like that creativity had been sapped from all other areas of life. And to this day, it's just not fraught with self-doubt or self-loathing or overthinking like other creative things are for me. It's just been this really peaceful place I can retreat to anytime other creative venues aren't working out. If you're one of the almost 700,000 people following Local Milk on Instagram, or you've taken a workshop or gone on a retreat with Beth, or you read her blog, Local Milk, you may know her story, her childhood in Tennessee, her darker years throughout her 20s, her love for travel, her passion for Japan and wabi-sabi, the Japanese view centered around the acceptance of imperfection, the story of how she met her husband, of falling in love. Her images tell these stories, sometimes simultaneously. They invite you to scratch their surface and go deeper. Imperfection as it occurs organically is more beautiful to me than something very perfect. There's something very static about perfect things to me. They lack movement. They lack narrative. There's not a lot of story there. I mean, every story's gotta have a conflict, right? If a photograph is a story, I almost want there to be some internal conflict, even if it is just eggs or French toast. Before I was sort of a Japanophile. (laughs) I don't know, is there a word for that? Before I had been to Japan and before I'd really studied the concept of wabi-sabi, I kind of had the little phrase, which I think a lot of people use, the perfection of imperfection was an ideal I held very high because I'm a messy person. I remember someone once asked, like, how did your messy, dark style evolve? I was like, oh, I'm messy and dark, that's how. (laughs) I took a workshop from Beth last year. I was nervous to meet her, as I always am when I know lots about a person beforehand, so there's this social imbalance happening. That always trips me up for at least the first few minutes, but this time it wasn't weird. When I arrived, Beth was spinning around an old French farmhouse kitchen, making something fabulous to greet guests with as we slowly arrived. She was wearing her uniform, linen top and pants from her Tennessee friend and designer, Elizabeth Suzanne. Clogs were on her feet. She greeted me with a big southern smile, gave me a hug, and handed me a cocktail in a champagne glass with a tall lavender stem casually placed inside. As her arm reached to me, I saw her scars, horizontal lines filling her forearm. I knew she had them. She has shared that story, a vestige from a past life somewhere online. But now, fast forward a year after the workshop, and she's sharing her thoughts with me, and I realize Beth herself is the ultimate example of beauty in the darkness, an example of wabi-sabi. I'm very inspired creatively and always have been by dark things, but I don't see them as dark. I see them as beautiful, where hope and strength and growth all come from. I like to incorporate all of that into everything I do. And that's why I was drawn to wabi-sabi. It's different, you know, it's peculiar to Japanese culture. And I think that 
to a certain extent as an outsider, I can't ever hope to fully appreciate it or claim it. It feels a bit like appropriation, but just aesthetically, it's what speaks to me most. I appreciate it so much and I'm so drawn to it. And especially for me, an idea that entered in with the idea of wabi-sabi, and that's what our Japan retreats theme always is, is mano no aware. And it's a specific concept within wabi-sabi that's basically the sort of melancholy beauty of the ephemeral, of things passing away, of decay, of the fact that life is brief, that flowers die, that humans die, that therein actually lies part of their beauty. That if you took away that sort of sad ephemerality, you would be taking away some of the beauty. And I love that idea because it embraces what actually is. It's interesting because food is edible art. Yes, <laughs> I always say that, that food and flowers are the most, to me, wabi-sabi of the arts because flowers are beautifully arranged only to die and food is created to be consumed, destroyed, transmuted to energy. And then, well, we know what happens with food, <laughs> um, which is really cool. Beth's workshops have changed over the past year. They're retreats now. Styling is no longer the main focus. Photography is still on the agenda, but less. It's more about experiences and less about teaching. And with this shift, there's a shift in who they are attracting to the retreats. There's this defining thread of looking for that creative direction and next step, whether it's career or creative or just personal, which is really nice for me because I was there. That's sort of the big thing I learned how to do whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it's very akin to what I do or something totally different, just offer whatever experience and guidance we can and just give them a place to talk through it, think through it and slow down enough and remove themselves from the situation enough to get clarity. Through the darkness of Beth's 20s, she had the clarity to know that she was a writer, a photographer, a cook. Together they made local milk and slowly that passion project turned into a career. On a smaller scale, clarity is what happened to me as I made that weaving with Sandra. We carved out the time and the space and just did it slowly, object by object. I solved some problems, wrote some stories in my head, laughed, slowed down. I was doing something new and different. It exercised my sense of touch, something that strangely I don't focus on enough while cooking. Carving out this time is when creativity flourishes, and we're all students, even Beth. I'm not the best at slow living. I talk fast and I move fast. I've always got work on the brain. I'm kind of an anxious person. I'm super goofy. I really enjoy lowbrow things, um, from flaming Hot Cheetos to Flo Rida. And it's sort of almost a chronicle of my aspirations and also my efforts to keep life beautiful and slow amidst the chaos and the cravings and everything. But that there's a place for those too. I don't think you have to be some vision of grace all the time. I'm certainly not. The focus of her workshop is not all that's changed. Her life, that's changed too. I'm looking at an Instagram post of Beth's from early July after we spoke. It was her birthday and an anniversary as well. The image is from her archives, a rich chocolate and lavender cake with Earl Grey buttercream. There is light coming from directly above. A magnolia crowns a tall, stacked layer cake. Darkness circles the image, but the light is front and center. I knew about Beth's new relationship before I took the workshop last year. 
She wrote about it, gushed about it, really. It was infectious. Before this point, her blog took us away. It celebrated the beauty of finding a home anywhere in the world. But suddenly, home was where he was. She wanted to start life again. I had just gotten back from a retreat in Venice, and his coffee shop happened to be in the same shopping complex where I would buy, like, my dry hairspray, etc. <laughs> so I was just out running errands, and like I said, I never leave my house. So his coffee shop, which was amazing, had been open for, like, a year, and I didn't actually know it existed because I'm a recluse. Um, and I was like, wow, a real coffee shop in Chattanooga, Tennessee? So I went over there to grab a macchiato or a cortado or some such. And he was there, and we started talking, And I, in my infinite grace and animation, proceeded to hit myself in the face with a shopping bag. And I remember him, like, leaning in and being like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I remember I was actually trying to illustrate that I had bought a pointy hat. So I was trying to lift my hands up to show, I bought a pointy hat. (laughs) We stopped talking. I was working. He had to leave. He got my number, I think, under some pretense of wanting to work together. But I was oblivious. I was like, yeah, cool. Here, you like coffee. I like food. That makes sense. Local small business. I'm all about that. And then he proceeded to leave the shop because he was then driving to Athens to roast coffee once a week. So Athens, Georgia. So he was about to hop in the car and drive for three hours and proceeded to send me a text message, which rapidly dispelled any illusions I had about him wanting to work with me. And I really liked that. (laughs) I kind of fell in love with him that day via text message. I was pretty, I was, I was done. We actually got married on my birthday, which was as, if not more romantic than the Iceland bit, frankly. But yeah, it's our birth anniversary, is what I'm calling it now, on July 2nd. So I'm thinking of trying to get into the ocean like one more time before this baby's born. She says her husband taught her how to make time for living, how to give herself a break. And according to the world of social media, they did float in the ocean on her birthday. It's fitting. I'm an underwater person. My later in life goal or secret dream, it's not so secret because I tell everyone who crosses my path, is underwater photography. I grew up diving. My dad taught me to scuba dive when I was probably nine, ten years old at the bottom of a pool and took us to Grand Cayman. No boat would take us. It was me and my little brother who was even younger than me because that's illegal. <laughs> so we swam out from shore to the reef, and I've been diving ever since. I didn't actually get formally certified until I was in my 20s, but I just, I love the ocean. I love being underwater. On my personal account on Instagram, which I don't use at all, but I follow pretty much exclusively underwater photographers, shark photographers. I just think that would be the coolest second career to have ever. I have no idea how to go about it or if I would actually freak out, (laughs) but that's that's my other dream is to dive and shoot underwater wildlife. The photography on the Local Milk blog looks like paintings, Rembrandts with a modern twist. You can see the darkness, the light, and all that's in between. It's breathtaking. But behind the brand, there's a person. She makes gorgeous food in the studio, but sometimes her pregnant body wants something else for dinner. We've kind of been on a kick where we go home and I eat fake meat and cheese and a quesadilla because pregnancy has turned my palate into the palate of a five-year-old and all I want are ham and cheese sandwiches and tortillas with melted cheese. 
That said, we are actually working on a very good and grown-up recipe. I've been doing a white gazpacho for two days, which is amazing. So that's that's my work food. But as far as my dinner, that's less interesting. <laughs> there's light and dark. There's birth. There's death. There's gazpacho. There are tortillas with cheese. There's coffee. And there's milk. A beautiful balance. She's following her path. My backstrap weaving, a tactile pathway, hangs on the wall, reminding me that even a scratchy metal pot scrubber can be woven over and under the weft. It can become part of a story, because even the scratchy stuff in life can feel good in your fingers. Have I had wabi-sabi on my walls all this time? Thank you, Beth, for sharing your path. You can find Beth Kirby and her Earl Grey and Lavender French Toast recipe at localmilkblog.com. Next up on the Food Podcast, a whole episode devoted to daily rituals. Every morning I wake up, he's already up, and I call for him like a child. Um, And he comes back into the room and eases me into the day. Do you have a daily ritual that gets you into the creative zone? Tell me all about it in a voice memo and send it along to thefoodpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll include them in the next episode. You can follow us on Twitter at The Food Podcast or like us on The Food Podcast Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at L. Cameron Wilson. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our amazing theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 